Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Open Floor. I'm Ben Golliver. Okay, guys, you know Andrew Sharp's on vacation forever, so I've got another special guest to break down this Kyrie Irving for Isaiah Thomas blockbuster, and that special guest is... Andrew Sharp, I got him. Yes, I got him. Andrew, are you there? What's up, man? How you doing? I am so happy you can, and this is no knock on any of our guests because we've had an amazing run of guest uh, appearances here over the last month, but it feels great to talk to you. And I just love the role reversal here because you flagged me down in like the middle of uh, the Utah desert to talk about the Kyrie Irving trade request. And now I flagged you down during what sounded like a very romantic dinner with your wife in the middle of your vacation (laughs) to talk about the Kyrie Irving trade. I mean, this trade sort of broke my brain. I got a text message at about 6.15 Eastern, and it just happened really, really quickly. From the second it was leaked to Shams, I mean, about an hour later, it was official I, we have to go through it. I first of all, it's great to be back with you. I've missed our our weekly fireside chats, uh, and it's great to have actual NBA news to talk about here. So, how should we start? Well, we should start with an apology that's long overdue, and I just need to come correct even before we get into this Kyrie stuff. Okay, I was just taking shot after shot after shot at you during your absence because I missed you. Okay. It was, it was tough. (laughs) It was really hard. And what I decided to do after the first couple episodes, when you were in Europe and you clearly weren't listening, cause I was taking a lot of shots, but I wasn't getting any text messages from you. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to ramp up and get so mean so that maybe one of his friends like Spike and Mike, maybe they'll text you (laughs) to be like, yo, your, your co-host is just wilding on you. Like you need to get back and listen to what he's saying. Cause I was I was just desperately reaching out and, and doing all this passive aggressive behavior. I, I want to make clear, though, I didn't mean any of it. I'm very sorry for it. Thank you. And Thank you. And there were a couple times during the, the, Rob, the Rob Mahoney Top 100 pod. I had to like stop listening to that a <laughs> handful of different times because I was so pissed off that I couldn't interject. But so it goes. We'll have time to, to dive into this year's Top 100 in September. But I appreciate it. I I took it as as your way of showing love. So it's all good. It was. And the other thing I needed to say here real quick is, dude, it's hard to host. It's a lot easier to just be the analyst. <laughs> like, So I'm going to let you just host this conversation from like here on out. I'm going to pass the baton back to you. But I did not give okay. I didn't give you nearly enough credit for hosting for the last like year, you know. And you also had to like do the little episode descriptions and all the other busy work. Well, I was I was just <laughs> yeah, I was just playing it exactly. I was playing it real cool out here in Playa del Golliver, just having a great time, not doing any of the tough stuff, and leaving you to the grunt work. So I'm really glad that you're back to do the grunt work. And without further ado, let's talk, Kyrie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that long overdue show of respect. I've been waiting a year and a half for you to finally show me some respect. It feels great. I want to start. I mean, I don't know. There's there's like 10 different ways to look at this trade. Uh, and it's 830 East Coast. So we're pretty we're recording this pretty quickly after all this has happened. But number one, October 17th cannot get here quickly enough. Cavs Celtics at 8 p.m. I mean that that is like my Super Bowl. It's going to be so much fun. And most that's my number one takeaway is that of all the places that they could have sent Kyrie, this is by far the most entertaining because like Kyrie and Phoenix would have been 
incredibly lame and what like maybe the Suns get like an eighth seed Kyrie in even like Kyrie to New Orleans would have been like kind of cute but like mostly irrelevant I don't I like the Celtics this is this is a, a wild gamble from Ainge and the Celtics and the Cavs are going to be sort of circling each other for the next nine months let me ask you this. The, is the NBA schedule maker the single biggest winner for how he laid that out? Like, No kidding. Yeah. Like, did they know something? That's what I want to know. Yeah. So you, there's two There's two possible explanations. The schedule maker had a hunch and was like, I'm going for it. Let's just, you know, this has too much upside potential <laughs> not to. The Celtics have too many assets. Yeah. It's got to happen. Or he did know and was just like, this is going to be the greatest delayed gratification in NBA history for the schedule maker. Either way, it worked out great for them. Can I just, before we get into like, you know, the Celtics side of it, can we just pause and take a moment and just salute Kobe Altman, Cavs GM here? And I think he's probably going to come out of this a big winner. And it's one of those situations where once everybody piles on and gives him credit, maybe he winds up getting a little bit too much credit, but I think he deserves it. Here's why. His situation actually reminded me of myself when I'm in a hotel room in like a noisy city, right? So I will sleep with a blindfold on. I will sleep with noise canceling headphones on. I won't know like the layout of the room. And so there's like a really good chance in the middle of the night, I wake up in the middle of the dark and just like run into a door. It's sort of, it's not quite like escape room level difficulty, you know, or like a, one of those rat mazes or whatever. It's not quite like that, but there is a lot of things preventing me in that situation from doing what I need to do in the middle of the night. Right. That's basically what his life was like in this extended and grossly forced analogy. Okay. Kyrie's trade demand was sort of like the blindfold, right? Like that really compromises your ability to do your job once everybody knows he wants out. The noise-canceling headphones in this equation is the fact that LeBron can leave at any moment in, in next summer, and everybody knows that. So his, you know, he's basically got a gun to his head. He has to make a move. And then the, disorient, uh, the disorientation of the hotel room layout is really Cleveland's front office because up until this trade, their summer was a mess, Right. Like Dan Gilbert. I mean, the whole David Griffin thing was ugly. They miss both Paul George and Jimmy Butler. Like, And then he just, you know, goes after Chauncey Billups, doesn't get him. And then it's just like, OK, Kobe, like you're our guy. Right. Like that is being thrown into a mess for Kobe Altman to whip off the blindfold, take off the headphones, perfectly zigzag through the hotel room and come out with an all-star point guard and a wing defender while saving money, significant money on this year's uh, salary cap and taxes for Kyrie Irving and a draft pick. I didn't even mention the draft pick. That is pretty impressive, right? Absolutely. I want to make it clear that I have no idea what the hell you were talking about with that (laughs) analogy. (laughs) And that's what I missed. I missed your batshit crazy analogies so it's good to be back but you're a hundred percent right on Kobe Altman because I if we go back to when we first were talking through the Kyrie trade request I think I mentioned that like he was in way over his head and in like a a pretty tough spot and I try to be nice about it but like in my head as we were talking through the Cavs options and and Kobe Altman getting thrown into this like Internally, I was thinking, well, that guy is screwed. I would not want that to be my one shot at being a GM. Because then also, you had Dan Gilbert coming out and mocking the Pacers' Paul George return. And I was like, well, look, I mean, 
the Cavs don't have a lot of leverage here, so we'll see. But then as news started to trickle out, you heard a lot of people who were super plugged in, whether it was Zach Lowe, Windhorse, talk about Cleveland having a good shot at getting a good return. So there was at least a little bit room for hope. But I think, I mean, most most of all, with these superstar trades, I think particularly coming off this year, it was like every deal that happened, whether it was Boogie, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, every time we would, we would cobble together these trade machine deals that ended up being a lot fairer than the actual deals. Like the return for Paul George was obviously a joke, but it was the same deal with Boogie. It was the same deal with Jimmy Butler. And when this Cavs news broke, I was shocked when the the news came out that like the Celtics didn't even put a protection on that Nets pick. And the, to, to get Isaiah, to get Jay Crowder, who actually helps them this year, like this is the best case scenario for what they were going to do because they, they can compete this year. And then if LeBron leaves, they're pretty well set up. I mean, I don't think the, the Nets pick is going to be quite as valuable as some other people do. But I think it's going to be in the top 10 somewhere. And like they're they're in good shape to sort of start the rebuild from there. It's much better than Josh Jackson would have been. Like they were they were holding out for like Josh Jackson and Dragon Bender and Eric Bledsoe, which would have been kind of a sad whimper compared to what they have here. So I know you missed my tortured analogies and I'm sure you miss me <laughs> patting myself on the back, but I'm going to go ahead and do that now because... I proposed this exact structure of the deal in July when we first had the rumor, but the one difference that I, the one difference that I had, and I put this in my column, and I said, okay, lottery protected pick. I felt that was fair, right? And I think the biggest reaction uh, to the Isaiah Crowder lottery protected pick package that I threw out there is that people said, oh, well, Cleveland's over a barrel, so if you're a Celtics fan, you know we shouldn't have to give up that much, right? And so I think that proves exactly the point you just made, which is. Uh, you know, Cleveland did very well here, definitely did better than expectations, given that everyone just assumes the bottom's going to fa- fall out of the market when a superstar wants out. So uh, I think uh, I like the logic behind what Altman was going for, but I, I really do I really do think we should stress how important it was he got Isaiah back as uh, opposed to some other package. Because when you look at the all-star level point guards in the league, None of those guys were available. Steph's not available. Westbrook's not available. Paul's not available. Harden's not available. Lowry's not available. Lillard would have been hard to get. John Wall's not available. That's a long list of guys who are just out. And if you're trading away Kyrie Irving and all of your other pieces on your roster are basically role players or glorified role players in terms of not being able to handle the ball and play make, right? I mean, they just have nobody who can really do that. I mean, J.R. Smith's not going to be able to do that at this point. Shumpert definitely can. Kevin Love's a capable scorer, but he's really got to have a lot of his offense come from other sources. LeBron can't do it all. I mean, he can do as close to it all as any player we've seen in the last 20 years, but he can't be the only person who can handle the ball and run the offense on your team. Uh, and no offense to Derrick Rose, but sorry, buddy, you know, you're not in this conversation anymore. So they had to get a really good point guard back. And the fact that it was Isaiah, where they're not binding themselves to some crazy contract long term, they have some flexibility going into next summer, they will potentially have to pay him a lot if they decide to keep him, but they don't have to. So like if LeBron does leave, uh, you know, the timing actually works out pretty well. You can just, you know, tank this thing, pull it down uh, and play the lottery game if you want. Or you can retool around a core of 
uh, Isaiah and Kevin Love, and you know it could definitely be worse than that. <laughs> so to me, I don't know. Isaiah and Kevin Love does not uh, that doesn't get me all that excited. Well, I, let me let me say I though, wonder, though but, but like compare it to Indiana, you know, where they're trying to retool yeah. around. Oladipo and Miles Turner, or compare it to Chicago, where they're trying to retool around, oh, totally. like your younger brother and you know some people who, uh, you know, wash windows at the Sears Tower. I mean, like these other situations <laughs> when they're losing their star players, they're just done, right? Like they're out. Like, yeah. Look at Atlanta. You know, I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure Ludacris is starting at two for Atlanta next year. Like, it, having Isaiah and Kevin Love going forward. It's not great. It's not nearly as good. I mean, it's not even a consolation prize if LeBron leaves. Could be worse. Yeah. Well, I also, I don't think that they're going to pay Isaiah unless LeBron stays. I mean, obviously that's like four or five steps down the line and we don't need to worry that much about it now. But for what, for the options they had on the table, this is like a home run, A plus, every every trade grade is going to be an A plus on Cleveland's side. But I do wonder strictly in a basketball sense, taking ourselves out of like the trade machine world. I'm having a hard time imagining Isaiah and LeBron in a playoff series together. Like that's just going to be strange to see. And I think we may come to appreciate Kyrie more when we see Isaiah, like, cause there's a version of this where if they, if they could develop chemistry and learn to play off each other really well, then that also gives them an extra wing in Crowder to throw at a team like the Warriors. And they, you could make the argument that they're now better off and, and have more tools to go at Golden State than they did a day ago. But I also think that like we shouldn't underestimate how valuable Kyrie was in those playoff series. And, and Isaiah is going to have a tough role. Because like he was super ball dominant in, in Boston. And I don't know if he's going to have that much rope to play with in in Cleveland. No, that's a good point. And we also, I mean, he was kind of limited at times during the playoffs last year too. And so I think that's kind of a concern is like, you know, how good can he be in a playoff series? I'm not sure we still have that question answered. I would say this though, there is no way LeBron is going to lose a playoff series to Kyrie Celtics, right? Like if that's the Eastern (laughs) Conference finals, forget about it. I mean, LeBron, we will see the most motivated LeBron in the history of his career Uh, in that potential series. So I'm not so worried about the Isaiah in the playoffs factor for that series. And they've cruised so easily through like the first two rounds in recent years in the East. I'm not super concerned about that. I do think like the potential to pick on Isaiah in the finals and just really embarrass Cleveland uh, from Golden State side, that's there. I mean, that's there for sure, you know? Yeah, I'm more walking you through my own thought process. Like 15 minutes after the the deal happened, I was starting to think like, wow, so Isaiah and Kyrie are about equal. And then you add Jay Crowder as another guy that they could put, throw on KD and sort of get LeBron some rest. Like they could be in really good shape. And the more I think about it, the more I think back to some of those finals games where like, Kyrie would have a four-minute window to go off, and he would go off, and then LeBron would come back in and be great. And Isaiah, that's just, it's asking a lot of a scorer to be able to pick your spots that way. And Kyrie was great, and we'll see what happens with Isaiah. I mean, I think, all told, though, like, it's a huge win for LeBron. It's a little bit less of a win for Isaiah, because like I said, like, this is a tough spot, and then he's going into next year's offseason where like he wants he wants that Briggs truck money and like 
I'm curious as to as to what the market will be. So uh, I'm going to say this delicately because Isaiah did have a very nice tweet about my OJ Mayo story this week. So I kind of am, am in debt in debt to him right now. Yeah, a little Isaiah bit. is awesome. Like everybody <laughs> loves Isaiah. So, so it's it's really hard to sort of like short his stock in any context. Yeah, I'm going to say that delicately. But look, don't talk about the Brinks truck, man. You didn't earn it and you weren't in your contract year. You know what I mean? Like you had an amazing season. You got probably more adulation uh, than you potentially deserved in terms of the MVP conversation. Obviously, he was an all-star last year. Phenomenal crunch time player. Uh, he had a great year. But right, you really just shouldn't be talking about pay me, pay me, pay me, pay me that early, especially when you're on a team that, as much as they liked him, it never felt to me like they were completely committed to him as the franchise guy. Right now, when they the the one weird part of that is they did pass on the Fultz selection. Right, it did seem like they chose Isaiah. Mm-hmm over Fultz, but I think what they ultimately actually did was they chose Isaiah's value in the form of potentially a Kyrie trade or whatever else they could have gotten from him over Fultz, uh, and, and just trying to, you know, choose a timeline that's a little bit faster than the one that Fultz would have been on. But to me, he's now just got to go out there and prove it. And frankly, if you're Isaiah, his whole life has been, I'm underrated. I'm, you know, I'm overlooked. You know, people don't respect me. And so this is the ultimate situation to go prove it. Now you get to play with LeBron and Kevin Love. That's a big upgrade talent-wise from Boston's roster. Uh, you could make the argument that he's now set up better for success than he's ever been. Maybe he doesn't have the same scoring number that he had last year, uh, but he's certainly going to have great scoring opportunities. He's going to have a lot of open shots uh, thanks to the LeBron factor. Uh, you know, I'm expecting big things from him in Cleveland and he likes the, he likes the stage too, right? I mean, he's got that personality. It seems like being on a team like Cleveland where, you know, you're really the talk of the town. You're not this like cute story, upstart, fake contender Celtics team. Like you're the real deal now in Cleveland. (laughs) I mean, I think that could appeal to his confidence level, right? Yeah. And I think he and LeBron will probably click. And I mean, I'm really excited to watch that Cavs team next year. I think running it back with the exact same Cavs core would have been kind of boring. And that was, I I thought that in June and long before the Kyrie stuff happened. And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch those guys on a nightly basis. In Isaiah's defense though, you said he didn't earn the max deal. Like I think he absolutely did. I mean, he like if you go back to the last two years, he's been incredible, and he just has happened to not be a free agent at the right time, and that's a a real bummer. But the the Celtics have gotten a hell of a deal paying him like five or six million dollars a year, and so I don't blame him for being frustrated. And anyone, anytime anyone asks about his deal, he says, "Pay me the max, not a dollar less." Like that's. The, a perfectly acceptable stance from him. He just, it just, and I, I don't really blame the Celtics management either for saying, well, I don't know if we want to pay this guy $170 million, but it puts them in such an awkward position because I like all night I've been getting angry text messages from friends in Boston who like have no idea what to make of this trade. Don't really like Kyrie. I mean, Celtics fans have spent the last two years talking shit about Kyrie and saying that Isaiah is better than Kyrie. And now everybody has to turn around and pretend those conversations didn't happen and try to get behind Kyrie who like is really good and might be, I I don't know. I mean, 
I as far as like the guys that were on the Celtics radar, whether it's Boogie, whether it's Jimmy Butler, whether it's Paul George, like I think Kyrie is kind of at the bottom of that list in terms of talent. Yeah, let me go real quick back to what you were saying about Isaiah. First of all, I I didn't know we were in a world where what you did two years ago gets you paid paid next summer. I mean, there's only very few players who are. I'm just telling in that situation. you what should happen. All right, I'm just saying I'm sticking up for Isaiah. Okay, yeah. if, if if all things were equal, he should be getting paid the same as like Reggie Jackson. Yeah, and I feel you, and that's what I, I guess my point was. A guy like Reggie Jackson or even Kyle Lowry, those aren't full max players. Right. Like if if Kyle Lowry is not getting a full max this summer, uh, then I wonder, you know, is Isaiah Thomas a full max guy? Now, if he's just posturing and saying, pay me the max so that he can get $150 million, I don't blame him for that. That's fine. Uh, but he's not a no-brainer max guy like a Steph Curry where you just, you know, sign the money, he goes off to China and starts smoking cigars and drinking in casinos and stuff because he's earned it, you know? It's a little different between that no-brainer Steph and where Isaiah is at. But I think that element of the conversation speaks to how screwed up the NBA's economics are right now. Because, like, the contracts are now so big that there are maybe, like, 10 no-brainer max guys in the league. And so I think the players look at it differently than the teams, and nobody's really on the same page on, on what a max really means. But... I think if the Celtics had kept Isaiah and paid him three years, $100 million, whatever Lowry got, like I would have thought that was a completely reasonable deal next summer. For a casual fan, you just made a very astute point. I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I had one other thing on the Isaiah, on the Isaiah side of this is I wonder whether the, whether the Celtics know something about his hip condition Uh-oh. that we don't. Uh-oh. Because... That would explain the, the the gap in logic here because they really did look super committed to Isaiah all year, all summer, and then it just sort of the the line went dead a little bit. And like it would make sense if they if they're worried about his hip and don't think that he's gonna hold up on a three year hundred million dollar deal, then obviously selling high is, is a s- smart move from where they're sitting. But that's the part of this that I think we're all kind of in the dark on. Yeah, I'm picturing Isaiah shuffling down a hospital hallway, like getting ready for that surgery. <laughs> and then Danny Ainge just comes like running out of the elevator with his cell phone with Kyrie Irving's like trade request pulled up on his Twitter and just being like, no, no, stop the surgery. Stop the surgery. We got to make sure you're healthy so we can trade you. Um, yeah, no, it was kind of weird, though. I, get, I mean, it seemed like he was going to have hip surgery and then he just didn't have hip surgery. And does that mean it's going to be a lingering thing? Uh, is he going to be ready for the playoffs? I mean, I think if you're in Cleveland, you know, the one advantage that they have is, you know, just LeBron's ability to easily stack up, you know, high playoff positioning, just going out there every single night uh, puts them in a situation yeah. where you know, they can take a while with guys like J.R. Smith and Kevin Love on, you know, midseason injuries they can be afforded that same, you know, luxury with a guy like Isaiah. Like if he needs to have something done, if he needs to take a month off, you know, whatever it might be, like as long as he's there in shape and ready to go in mid-April, they're good. Yeah, it's one of those things where like I didn't take Isaiah's injury seriously at the time when it was announced. And then because like almost any time a Boston team loses 
in the playoffs. It's happened with Tom Brady like four or five different times. It comes out like a couple weeks later, like, oh, he was playing with bruised ribs. And then like the Celtics lost. And it was all like Isaiah was playing through pain that was never reported. You have no idea. And so at the time I was like, all right, cool. Good exclusive Nesson. Uh, But then in Vegas, like every time I would mention Isaiah's contract to somebody, They'd say, well, like, we don't know about his hip. Like, who know, who knows what will happen there? Like, it, the, the Celtics could be in a tricky spot. And so maybe this adds credence to, to the skepticism. Um, but I agree with you that next year he's in good shape with LeBron. Uh, and they will, they will be fine and will probably coast to a top three seed and be the favorites going into the Eastern Conference playoffs. We should talk about the Boston side of this, though, because I – think you and I disagree more about that than Cleveland's logic here. Yeah, I think we do. Um, when I wrote about this potential trade last month, I liked it for both sides. Uh, for Boston, I saw a couple things going on with their roster. I mean, especially after they got Hayward, is this idea that if you are going to have to pay a long-term big contract to Isaiah, he's a few years older than Hayward, and he's you know, quite a bit older than a lot of their other young guys, whether it's Brown, Tatum, whoever else you want to throw into that mix, even guys like Marcus Smart, where if you had the opportunity to get a better player in Kyrie Irving, who's younger, uh, who's going to require, you know, less money in that second year because he's still under contract and you don't have to pay him until the following summer. All of those things seem like, you know, a pretty good win. Uh, you know, they're also in a situation where, you know, depth wise, they got a lot of bodies there. So doing one of these like two for one type trades uh, isn't the worst thing in the world. Like they're going to miss Crowder for sure, especially now because they're going to miss both Crowder and Bradley, uh, you know, due to that previous deal. Uh, but I think that, you know, it's not like a crippling hit and, and it's worth it if you can get a player like Kyrie Irving, who, uh, you know, I definitely view as a better all around player, a better uh, you know, more logical foundational building block than a guy like Isaiah. So to me, uh, it makes sense. Uh, but I do understand the disappointment in that, you know, it's not this crazy home run super team that seemed possible in June. And I think if we're comparing the current Celtics with the core of Horford, Hayward, and Kyrie for next season, uh, not having, you know, Fultz, uh, and the potential of a number one pick and, and all the hype that goes with that. If we're comparing this group to the possibility, which, you know, I wrote about at the time, which was like they could potentially, you know, get Hayward and a Jimmy Butler or a Paul George and, and add that to Isaiah and Horford and have a big four, maybe this group doesn't look quite as good. I still think this group looks pretty darn good, though. Yeah, I mean, and I think most Celtics conversations should come with the qualifier that like as a baseline, you go back four years, three years and look at their roster and look what the Celtics front office has turned this into. And it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, like it, even this, this next year's team and that roster compared to what they had last year. I mean, it's night and day, like Hayward and Kyrie are both elite and Kyrie also covers for the one blind spot in Hayward's game where, like, I don't totally trust Hayward's ability to create in the last six minutes of, like, a close playoff game. But that's where Kyrie can kind of shine a little bit. Um, and I think in that context, like, it's it's a win. It makes sense. Uh, but I also think that, like, Isaiah could have played that role just fine. And I, 
part like part of me wonders like what offer did Boston have to beat to make this deal work because they kind of gave up every asset that they had been hoarding in talks for better players over over the last year like Jimmy but I would rather have Jimmy Butler than Kyrie Irving I'd rather have Paul George than Kyrie Irving and like Jay Crowder was reportedly a sticking point in the Bulls talks, and the Nets pick was a sticking point in the Paul George talks. So now that now that those deals didn't happen, and like we shouldn't we shouldn't look at past screw ups from Ainge and and let that color like our analysis this time. But like, I wonder whether like if if they had put a top three protection on the Nets pick. Could they have still made this deal? I still think that's a better offer than like the Suns were going to have. Yeah, I don't know what they were competing with and why it required so many of these minor pieces to kind of get this done. We actually got an email uh, from uh, hardcore listener Brad Hoy. He sent this into openfloormail at gmail.com. If you guys have questions, send them into openfloormail at gmail.com. And he says, I get why the Celtics were ready to make this deal, but it somehow feels like they overpaid, and I'm right there with them. Uh, especially because of the, the the lack of protections, like you're saying. I actually agree with what you said earlier, though. I mean, the odds are pretty good that Brooklyn will be a better team than Chicago, Atlanta, Indiana, yeah. probably Phoenix, Sacramento. I mean, to me, you know, that could be, you know, number seven, number eight pick. Uh, so that's not like the end of the world to throw that in there. It is just kind of weird that Kyrie also doesn't really feel like an Ainge type of player, right? Like he's not this crazy not like at all. Marcus Smart type dog. I mean, he's still figuring out basic physics in terms of the shape of the earth and you know, <laughs> he's got consistency issues and maybe some of that will work itself out. I mean, maybe now that he's not in LeBron's shadow, maybe he realizes every night I have to go out there and score 30. I mean, I think that's definitely a possibility in Boston. Uh, I think part of their thinking is, if I'm Boston, I think part of my thinking is, Look what we made Isaiah. You know, Isaiah was a super sub, and we turned him into an all-star, incredibly efficient player. We've got a coach who's a mastermind. We've got a lot of really good supporting players. Uh, We upgraded at the wing, um, and we've got a lot of high IQ guys uh, that are just basically the table is set for a lead ball handler who can get to the rim and shoot three-pointers to just go nuts, and that's Kyrie. And so I think from that standpoint, uh, you know, maybe paying the extra things on the margins to avoid uh, finding yourself overpaying big time for Isaiah Thomas in the future, but then also locking in Kyrie potentially for the rest of his prime if they're able to make this work and then re-sign him on the next contract. Maybe that made it worth it. I mean, maybe we're going to look back in uh, you know, a year and say, oh, remember when we were wringing our hands about Zizic in a first-round pick? Oh, boy, that, <laughs> that was some serious over-analysis, well, and that's possible. You know, I, I really do think... A lot of this comes down to how much better do you believe Kyrie is than Isaiah? And to me, it's close right now, but I definitely firmly believe over the next five years, there's no question you'd rather have Kyrie than Isaiah. Yeah, Zizic was a sticking point in the Bulls talks too. And throughout the course of the year, there was a lot of Zizic hype on like Celtics Twitter. And then he showed up in Vegas and was just like... He didn't have the range. He was just really struggling the entire time. And granted, like, there were people who were saying, like, it was a long season in Europe. Like, it was a long flight. He's kind of jet lagged. So, like, anytime people are making the jet lag excuses for your star mystery prospect, like, that's not a great sign. So, 
congrats to the Celtics for selling high on Zizic um, to to the Cavs, who apparently didn't see him play in Vegas. Uh, so I'm not. I definitely am not wringing my hands over that, or even the Jay Crowder thing. I think part of me, I just don't understand the process where they were apparently driving such a hard bargain with for better players, and then decided that Kyrie was the guy to to go all in on. And I don't know. I I think you're a hundred percent right. And honestly, you're kind of like. Uh, you're playing it more nuanced on the pod than you did than you were in our text messages because you were filled with the fire once Ainge actually made this deal happen. And I I think I just I it's a big risk. I don't know if Kyrie is that good. I think you're right that in Stevenson's system he could be every bit as effective as Isaiah was. But I think you look back at this like Nets pick era. And you were kind of hoping that they would turn, they would either have a foundation to like dominate the 2020s or have a team that can compete now. And I don't think Kyrie and Hayward are, are even like in the conversation to challenge the Warriors. Yeah, no, they're not. But I do appreciate the idea that they're going to go for silver rather than settling for bronze. Right. And I think if they had run back their squad and only adding Hayward to a certain degree, that is ceding something to Cleveland, right? It's basically saying like, look, we don't think we can beat LeBron. I think this move from Boston, it signals, hey, we're ready to take our chances next year, uh, riding Kyrie as far as he'll take us. And if LeBron does leave, then they're perfectly positioned to be sort of the the centerpiece of the entire conference uh, during the post-LeBron era. So from that standpoint, I respect Ainge's kind of go for it. It does feel like you said, though, a little bit delayed. I mean, it's almost like he's the guy at the bar and, you know, drink after drink, his standards start to lower a little bit. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? He got start himself talking to yourself into the yeah. flat earth or at the end of the bar. Exactly. You know, Kyrie is the last call. Uh, but hey, on a different note, Andrew, I just needed to talk to you about Barbasol for a second. Is that okay? Let's do it. Okay. So Barbasol sent me some of this shaving cream and these razors, these ultra six plus razors with the seventh blade that's specifically designed to refine and style tricky areas like under your nose, sideburns, and beard. I don't have a beard, but this seventh blade is the real deal, Andrew. You can really feel it. It clicks in and out. It adjusts. It's it's a sturdy, nice product. But even besides the, the, the new blades, which are a big deal, this shaving cream, man, have you ever used Barbasol shaving cream? I'm sure you have because they're a loyal sponsor. Doesn't it smell so, so good? It smells like an old school barbershop. I put it on, honestly... I want to wear it like deodorant or like cologne. I mean, it just smells so good. It puts you in a good mind state, man. Yeah, absolutely. For the listeners, I will say Ben and I have not talked like that often uh, since I've been away, but he did hit me up out of the blue about a week ago to say Barbasol is legit and sent <laughs> sent a photo of two gift packs that were, I guess one of those were, was supposed to go to me, but you got them both. And so I haven't gotten to try Barbasol, but... But Ben is a legit evangelist, even offline. Um, oh, 100%. Really, didn't you say Barbasol was a, a replacement for your cologne? Yeah, no, it smells that good, man. I mean, you could, honestly, if you have the little scents in your house, you know, like the Glade plugins, no, forget that. Just like spray some Barbasol in the corner of your room. It smells so good. Uh, but honestly, the biggest thing to happen to Barbasol scent shaving cream is also the only thing to happen to Barbasol scent shaving cream 
it's these new Barbasol razors that we're talking about because the brand America Trust for a close, comfortable shave now has premium disposable razors. Like I said, man, there's an advanced pivoting head. It's the close shave technology, ultra thin, open flow blades, that seventh blade for the styling. Everybody, I mean, you want to smell like me. You want to smell like Andrew's going to smell once he gets one of his own gift packs. Barbasol.com, get a $2 savings coupon and see for yourself why Barbasol razors are the number one new disposable razors out there. And Andrew, you left out the part of the text message that I sent you, which I actually thought was the best part. It came along with the picture uh, of the gift packs and it was the caption. And it just read simply, you're looking good, America. You're shaving with Barbasol. (laughs) Yeah. That's right. Look, I just want another, I want a gift pack. All right. I got to complain to the podcast producers, maybe hit up Barbersaw and then we can, we can compare our shaving experiences. But yes, you are looking good, America. Yeah. You're looking, Shop Barbersaw. you're looking good, America. All right. Um, <laughs> Barbersaw.com for that promo. Okay. Back to the Kyrie blockbuster. Um, what else should we really break down? I mean, if you're taking, you know, Eastern Conference Finals next year, what's your pick? You know, Cleveland or Boston? How many games? Um, I don't know, man. I'm not. I'm not totally sold on the Isaiah Lebron pairing. Um, I guess I would say Cavs and six, which is like a, a really lame, safe pick. Um, but I think we have. There's more to talk about with the Celtics, though. Real quick. So you think this is a smart move? For, for what year? Like, what year do you see this paying off with the Celtics? Because we can both agree that they're not going to challenge the Warriors this year. And LeBron, I guess LeBron goes goes west, a lot of people think, uh, next summer. So then maybe they go to the finals in 2019? So here's the thing. I think it works now. I think it works next summer. And I think it works into the future. But there is one big hitch to my to my reasoning. If LeBron responds to Kyrie's trade request by deciding that he just wants to take out all of his anger and all of his rage that we we see come through in those Instagram videos where he's pumping his fist in the gym and he's got really like the look of (laughs) the devil in his eye because Golden State's kind of put him through so much here recently. If he decides that he wants to channel all of that rage into just punking Kyrie and making him realize he never should have left... Uh, this trade's never going to work out, right? I mean, there's just, it it could be Kyrie's entire prime of LeBron just completely punishing him. So from that standpoint, that is a major red flag that I just have to grant like upfront. Like this could wind up being something where it just haunts Kyrie forever. If that's not how it plays out though, I think it works next year because I think he's a better player than Isaiah. I think he's less of a defensive liability than Isaiah. And I think in a playoff matchup, he's a better player uh, than Isaiah for some of the reasons you pointed out earlier. It works next summer because they don't have to pay Isaiah. I think it also works next summer because I think he's a better magnet to get other star players. You know, this USA basketball thing is really picking up a lot of talk uh, on the on the buzz side in terms of guys wanting to play with each other and kind of teaming up in these various scenarios. Um, you know, Kyrie's right in the middle of that USA basketball click. That could help them, you know, maybe swing a deal uh, involving some of their younger assets, uh, or, you know, potentially if you want to try to trade Horford at some point, you know, that could bring some player back. And I think it works. I think, yeah, I think they would have to trade Horford to get another star at this point. Like they're, they're kind of locked in and eventually they'll have to pay a lot of money to Kyrie. So you have to sort of budget that in as well. I'm not sure that they're going to have as easy a road to a third star or fourth star. If you're, if you're, keeping hey or keeping horford i mean like 
this is sort of their core for the foreseeable future. For sure. And then I think, you know, past that, it works just because you've got Hayward, Kyrie, and a whole bunch of young guys all under 30, two, three, four, five years from now, where they could have a real extended, you know, era of dominance in the Eastern Conference or AAA. And look, I'm not going to hype that up. You know, I don't think it's really that yeah. cool to win the Eastern Conference, but it's better than finishing second and taking bronze uh, in your conference. And, uh, you know, take your shot against Golden State. If you get swept three years in the row against in the finals against Golden State, that's not the end of the world for, you know, a team that, you know, looked dead on, dead on arrival, you know, four years ago. I mean, that's a pretty good turnaround. So uh, I just don't think there's going to be... I guess so, man. I know, look, here's the thing. I don't think there's going to be regret on the specific terms of this trade. I think the regret yeah. is coming from what you're saying, which is the entire era... That's all you could do for all those extra picks that you were fleecing Brooklyn for. And I get you, but I get you on that stuff. You know, I think there's going to be regrets over Paul George and, you know, probably, frankly, that stupid Justice Winslow trade that everybody talks about, you know, oh, 19 first round <laughs> picks for Justice Winslow. I mean, there's going to be all sorts of trade related regrets uh, from this era of the Celtics. If they never win a title out of it, that's probably going to feel like a disappointment. But if they make three or four finals in a row, and Kyrie becomes, you know, a top five star in the league, that's not the worst thing, right? That's a great point. <laughs> there, there are regrets on both sides. And anytime a Celtics fan laments not making the Paul George trade or the Jimmy Butler trade six months ago, they should also be grateful that Danny Ainge was not able to pull off the Justice Winslow blockbuster <laughs> three years ago. So, you know, there's two sides to every coin. Um, However, uh, I think what's most interesting to me is just how big of a risk this is internally. Like, I think Isaiah was a was a catalyst to the turnaround that's happened. Like, as as important as Stevens was, as important as as Ainge was, like Isaiah was the guy on the floor who sort of like brought that team back to life over the last two and a half years. Like, even. Even that first year after the after the trade from Phoenix, like they turned into a different team the second he took the floor. And I mean, I understand the worries about his health, his salary, blah, 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 blah. We've all been through that for the last year, talking about whether the Celtics should play Isaiah. But the fact is, like, that dude was beloved in Boston. And they were like, there are a lot of people. I talked to a Celtics fan a couple weeks ago who was like, look. I would rather lose with Isaiah than win with Kyrie. And and we we both laughed off the thought of Kyrie getting to traded to Boston. So shows how smart we are. But the and I I identify with that because back when Gilbert Arenas was at his peak, I remember telling people I'd rather lose with Gilbert than win with LeBron. And I think a lot of Boston feels that way about Isaiah. So Already, you've got a bunch of Celtics fans who have sat through the last year of like blockbuster pipe dreams and that went up in smoke, and now they have to sell themselves on Kyrie. And like, I think there's a pretty low ceiling on what the Celtics are going to do with Kyrie. And so, I'm not saying like when we say risk, like Danny Ainge can, can work with the Celtics as long as he wants, but I think that there there's a chance that this could sort of be pretty bittersweet as as things unfold over the next year or two well the good news is we know Kyrie's got the exact right personality to be underappreciated by his own fans right I'm sure he won't take that personally (laughs) 
Yeah, well, and I think a lot of it is like you, I, you, I think you said Kyrie could be like a top five player at some point. Is it? Did I hear you correctly? I, I meant like top five star. I mean, if he goes out there, averages thirty, they make the finals three years in a row. Like just yeah, in terms of fame, you know, I mean, I don't think he's. I think he could get to a level where he's as well known or as famous or as recognized as guys like Harden and Westbrook right now. Okay, but don't you also think that there is a chance that the last year or two were were the best years of Kyrie's career? No, I don't. I don't think so. I think age-wise, he's coming into it. I think he's going to have insane numbers. I mean, he even though he really finally got a lot of shots last year, I mean, that was the first year of his career uh, that he did, and he still maintained really good efficiency. I mean, there is definitely more room for him to do a lot. And but he was also in a spot where he didn't have to create. Like that's his Achilles heel as a as a lead guard is he's just he's not great at making other people better. And LeBron did all of that for him. And now he's going to a spot where like he's going to have to take on more of that responsibility. Granted, like maybe Stevens, maybe Brad Stevens' system is going to do a lot of what LeBron did in Cleveland, and Kyrie is going to be in a spot where he all he has to do is go score. But like. It's not it's it's not quite as simple as just like plug him in and he's going to be a five or six time all star there. Well, he's going to be an all star no matter what because he's playing in Triple A and he's That's he's true. he's a bona, he's a bona fide all star. I, I hear your concerns. I would also just say though, like Isaiah is not the best passer for others either, right? Like that was sort of the yeah. knock in in Sacramento in terms of why he didn't stick around down there, trying to make it all work in Phoenix. It was sort of a similar situation. I think Boston is actually geared pretty well because they're deep and they've got a lot of versatility and uh you know overall pretty high talent level on their roster right now to play to their stars strengths and i think brad's going to be licking his lips when he can see that Kyrie can take any player in the league off the dribble going either direction getting to the rim he gets to the free throw line he can hit the three-pointer pull up off the dribble uh you know he's he's got some mid-range i mean he can get to you know pretty good jumpers basically everywhere Everything that worked for Isaiah last year should work for Kyrie next year. And if it doesn't, uh, we should pour out some green beer for Celtics fans because they are going to be so angry about it. Uh, but I, I... <laughs> Yeah, you, you're selling me on it to a degree because also Hayward is probably going to have the best year of his career next year. And Hayward is going to be uh, like as good as anyone Boston had last year, including Isaiah. And then so throwing Kyrie into that mix... Yeah, like he he's sort of a bonus. Uh, I just it it'll be it'll be really interesting. I I have yet to make up my mind on how I feel about this. I'm I'm more I'm into it as like a move that sort of shakes everything up and makes things a lot more fun. Like I I really can't wait for October seventeenth. But this is like Ainge Ainge is out on a limb here trying to talk the city of Boston into Kyrie as like the franchise guy. Yeah, I think my concerns with Kyrie one. You know, in terms of feeling the respect, if you're the guy, but you're living in Isaiah's shadow because everybody else just loved him and because he was so hyped up by the Boston media, you know, that could create some tension. I, I definitely agree with you on that. And I think the other thing that I would worry about is the expectations factor. And this is something that we talked about the last time we did a Kyrie podcast, but he, this guy didn't want to be a leader earlier in his career. You know, he was, yeah, he kind of ran from that responsibility. He's getting in fist fights in the locker room, allegedly. And he's, uh, deferring to LeBron at every turn 
now that stuff's gone, right? If Boston goes on a four-game losing streak, everybody's asking Kyrie what's wrong, and he can't play the mumble, mumble, mumble card anymore. He's going to have to step up and you know really answer questions. <laughs> he really did mumble, mumble, mumble after some of those Cavs losses. No, and it, like he understood it that that's okay in that role. Like if you're the number two guy, don't say anything controversial because then LeBron has to answer for it, and then there's internal tension. Like that's just how it works in NBA locker rooms. He knew his role exactly. there exactly. And that's why I think there's more of a downside than people realize is that there's a chance that Kyrie just isn't cut out to play that role. And like, there's a chance that playing next to LeBron was like the best possible use of his skill set, where he could just have like a shitty month in February or March and nobody really cared. Didn't like, don't try on defense for six weeks. Nobody really pays attention. And like, that's, that's one of the minuses with his games the plus is that if you put him in a in a final series, like I, he has a much higher ceiling than Isaiah offensively, and and I think that's ultimately what did it for for Boston is they were like, look, he's a he's a championship piece. We don't think Isaiah is a championship piece, so let's flip this and see what we can do a year and a half from now. For sure, and I think the consistency, the mentality, leadership. Uh, his ability to create and generate positive chemistry, those are the questions. I think, you know, if you're a Celtics fan, reflexively, you're going to say, well, we've got a great structure, ownership, management, coaching, all solid, high IQ players around him, good dudes with Horford and Hayward both, you know, are really considered good guys. Um, yeah. If Kyrie can't do it here, if he can't be the alpha here, <laughs> I mean, uh, that's on him. And that will really count against his reputation if he can't make it work there. But I do think he is being set up for success in Boston, knowing that those are his weaknesses. He's going to have some support. He's not out there, you know, trying to lead a really bad Phoenix team into meaningful March basketball. You know, like I could really see Kyrie struggling in that role. I think you know, he's going to be an alpha guy, but it's not like he's the whole franchise in Boston, and I think that should help him. Yeah. I Related to the chemistry question, I'm really curious to see some of the like reports that will come out of Cleveland over the next week or two. Because like, we heard murmurs that Kyrie wasn't speaking to teammates during the playoffs, and now I feel like it's going to be open season with when Cavs guys going off the record – saying what it was really like because we still don't really have any idea what the hell happened with this whole situation well you know two things i mean first definitely check that uh road trip and podcast feed with uh richard jefferson yeah, and exactly. it might not be off the record there might just be straight out flat out shots on the on the air but the other thing too is can we find david blatt please can somebody track him down uh, let's get his honest appraisal of everything I, I would love to hear his side of the story yeah i mean We'll have to see where this goes. Uh, I guess for right now, good, big, big win for Kobe Altman for every NBA fan because next year's Eastern Conference just got a lot more interesting. I'm not even going to start. Like, I have some Wizards-centric thoughts on this because I, as a Wizards fan, I feel like the Celtics defense is going to be super shaky i like i john wall always goes like 200 percent against Kyrie, so i like that that rivalry will still be a 10 out of 10 um and you know we'll see how the Cavs do i think it, it lebron is another winner in this because all things considered he still has a shot against the warriors um which 
I w- who knows? I, w- I really had no idea what to expect out of the out of the Cavs' return, but um, and then beyond that, I I guess the Celtics are winners. I don't know. I I think we're gonna all look back. It's gonna take another year or two before any of this really makes sense. Yeah, I think the Warriors are huge winners here too. You know, I mean, the gap just got got bigger. The Warriors, the Warriors have won every single storyline of the offseason. Like they paid KD seven million dollars less than they had to. Like they they added bench guys that are legitimately helpful. I'm sick of the Warriors winning everything. They add, they drafted <laughs> Jordan Bell. Like it's bullshit. No, I hear you. The other thing we should point out, you said LeBron's a winner. Remember, he was like the first person who crowned Isaiah as a superstar. Do you remember that? When he called Isaiah a superstar? I don't know if it was early last season or maybe the season before where he came out and was like really effusive in praise uh, of Isaiah. Maybe that's a chess move by LeBron. Maybe he's thinking down the road, oh, I got to trade Kyrie for Isaiah at some point. I got to build up his confidence and and get him feeling like he truly belongs. But uh, I think that is, you know, one thing that if you're a Cleveland fan, you can be excited about is that, the, the respect factor is clearly there between those two players. And, you know, that should hopefully help jumpstart their chemistry because, uh, you know, this is another change for LeBron. And that is, you know, maybe the one downside for LeBron here is you know, life would have been easier if Kyrie had just shut his mouth and played basketball, right? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, good for Kyrie. He's he's charting his own course here and wasn't going to sit around and wait for LeBron to ditch him next summer. And I like – Whatever you think of Kyrie's game, I still i I think this podcast has made it clear that I have no idea how to like accurately gauge how good he is. But it'll be cool to watch. Uh, final question here: How long do you think we have until the next Celtics superstar rumor? Like plus or minus seventy two hours? Ooh, um, in terms of like a trade or a free agency, or what are we talking here? Yeah, like the next, like Chris Mannix there, eyeing Marcus Saul, eyeing Anthony Davis. Like, do you think we will make it to Friday without some like well sourced Celtics report that they're they're angling for a big man? Well, I tried to kind of disguise it earlier when I was calling this the USA Basketball Club, but I re- <laughs> I I think we could just shatter your seventy two hour timeline and say the Anthony Davis stuff is just going to go nuts here, right? I mean, isn't yeah. this, I'm pretty sure that's where this is headed, where you have these guys who are under 30 on timeline with Davis, on timeline with the other Celtics young prospects. You know, I talked about this with uh, Danny LaRue on the podcast, on the Hot Seat podcast, but like the Pelicans could be completely upside down by this time next summer. Like they could be almost unrecognizable to the point where if you're Davis, that could be the last straw in terms of wanting to be there. And I could easily see a situation where next summer Davis says the exact same thing to new Orleans that Kyrie said to Cleveland this summer. And he would actually be about 10 times more justified in saying it than Kyrie was this summer, given how much craziness has been around him throughout his entire career down there. And just, you know, how lacking in commitment it really seems like that organization is to winning, right? So uh, to me, I think that's Boston's long-term master plan. And if you're trying to position yourself for an Anthony Davis trade or signing, I really think bringing on a guy like Kyrie Irving definitely helps you if you're Boston. I think he's just got that credibility among his fellow players. You know, you were saying earlier, you're kind of struggling to determine how good Kyrie is. 
I'll tell you what, the NBA players, I'm surprised every That's year. Right. <laughs> I'm surprised every year he doesn't get voted MVP in the Players Choice Awards. You know what I mean? Like those That's for right. whatever reason, they love his game. And I think he's gonna wind up being kind of a recruiting magnet for that team. Yeah, players definitely think Kyrie is amazing. Um and he has been in big moments, so shout out to him. And your your point on Anthony Davis is is dead on because I was thinking about uh, like almost everyone involved in this trade is a winner except a- Danny Ainge is going to have to sort of like tread carefully over the next couple weeks in Boston. Uh, he's going to have to batten down the hatches. There's going to be a lot of takes flying around, uh, a lot of upset Boston people. But if he turns around, and it's entirely feasible that like eleven months from now the Pelicans are in shambles, and and he could try to give them fifty cents on the dollar for Anthony Davis and make that deal happen. But uh, and that's the way every Celtics conversation ends. Is like we don't really have any idea what the Celtics are doing, but if they swing a Anthony Davis trade, we will all look stupid. So. I'm glad to know that nothing has really changed after all of this. For sure. Hey, this, uh, you know, Kyrie versus uh, LeBron, Celtics versus Cavaliers, like the first time they meet, that's the most anticipated NBA regular season game since LeBron's first trip back to Cleveland when he was with Miami, right? I mean, wouldn't you say? yeah. And it's so much more fun. Because, look. It might be bigger. (laughs) I think it will. Well, I don't know. It might be bigger among our like nerdy set of the internet. I don't think it's going to be bigger among like mainstream sports fans because it's also going to be going up against NFL. But I love it, man, because the the KD return to Oklahoma City was sort of sold at, on that same level as like this spectacle that we should all tune in. And I tuned in and watched like 15 minutes of that game before being like, "All right, well this is over. Cool." But Celtics and the the Celtics and Cavs are going to have some wars next year, and it's going to start October seventeenth. Both of those teams are pretty evenly matched. Granted, the Celtics still have issues up front that they like have not been able to solve for two years now, and the Cavs will will kill them on the boards. But that's that's going to be fun as hell all year long to watch those guys. No doubt about it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think this is the this is definitely bigger than the KD return game. I think it's bigger than like the LeBron first game back in Miami. I mean, that really wasn't anything once he left the Heat. I think it's the biggest since we had all those like really creepy signs that were like taking awful digs at LeBron uh, during his first trip <laughs> back to Ohio. I think it's the biggest game since then. Yeah, it would be really weird to watch a broadcast of that now because when that game happened. It was like weirdly okay, even among like mainstream kind of like rational people to just hate LeBron. Like, and so nobody really batted an eye when Cleveland like lost their mind. And I think now, given the evolution of LeBron over the last six or seven years, it would be bizarre to, to go back and like watch the full two, two and a half hour broadcast of that Heat game. You know, I can't wait to see the signs the Cavs fans have for Kyrie. You know, like, this is what you're missing. Like, or like, what kind of idiot would want to leave LeBron? You know, like, there's going to the be. The earth oh, is round, God damn it! Exactly. See, you're with me. Uh, well, let's leave it on that note, man. This is a good conversation. It's great that I could drag you out from your vacation for an hour of just Kyrie ramblings. Um, just as a programming note, we're going to have one more guest episode uh, next week. And then I think you and I are going to, you know, pull this back together come September, correct? Can't wait, man. 
we got, we got a lot to dive into because we didn't even talk about like the other, the, the West is going to be murderers row this year too. I'm more and more talking myself into cat and Jimmy Butler. And then, and you know, we got Paul George on the horizon. We got Lakers tampering to dig into. Man, this is this is the year of the Magic Johnson heel turn, uh, where he becomes the enemy of Middle America, and I can't wait for that. So, you know, it's gonna be a fun year. Yeah, I saw Jimmy Butler in L.A. last week. He's on a mission, Andrew. He he is fully focused with the highest possible uh, goals for that team. So Timberwolves fans, you know, if you're listening, you know, be pretty excited about that. Uh, should I tease next week's guest? I think I'm just going to do it. Australia basketball fans, I have a tribute episode for you with NBA TV's Lee Ellis. He dropped so much knowledge. I already taped the interview. It's coming out next week. You're going to love it. Um, I think that's it. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Get some Barbasol, man. Like, get, just buy some. Just buy a couple bottles I of it. I it. I might. <laughs> I got to keep up with you. And five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. All right, man, I'll talk to you in a couple weeks. All right, dude, peace. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.